You're listening to a podcast from DTB. Welcome to DTB In This Issue podcast. This is volume 49, number one for January 2011. Uh, my name's Alex Taylor and I'm the editorial assistant for DTB. And I'm joined by Ike Iannaccio, the editor for DTB, and David Fizakali, the deputy editor for DTB. Hello. Hello. Right. The editorial is titled Playing the Numbers Game. Ike, would you be able to tell us a little bit about this? Yes, this editorial focuses on the use and potential misuse of surrogate markers. That is, markers which um, help to tell us or should help to tell us about disease uh, when we can't measure the disease itself easily. So examples would include such things as blood pressure, uh, blood glucose concentration, serum cholesterol concentrations. So, so markers which point to what's going on in the patient, hopefully, and, and what could happen to them. What the editorial is concerned about, though, is that sometimes such markers can be misused. And um, one of the examples that we highlight is the use of HbA1c, that's glycated hemoglobin, as a tool for assessing the efficacy of diabetes drugs. Now, there's a very recent example uh, of a drug where really the use of that that marker hasn't been particularly helpful in telling us how worthy the drug is. And so the editorial explores that kind of issue and, and, and really focuses on how we uh, use surrogate markers, how they relate to markers that really um, are of the interest, that is patient-orientated outcomes, which is what patients really care about and disparity that can occur between the two. All right, thank you, Ike. The first main article in this issue is called Can Beta Blockers Be Used for People with COPD? Uh, David, would you be able to elaborate on this article? Tell us a bit about it. COPD, we know, common condition. Uh, Lots of people uh, suffer from it. What we also know is that a lot of the risk factors for COPD uh, are also common for um, cardiovascular disease. So a lot of people with COPD often have coexisting cardiovascular disease. And one of the groups of drugs that are often used in various forms of cardiovascular disease are beta blockers. But for a long time, people have been very wary about using beta blockers in patients with COPD because of concerns that actually the uh, beta blocker itself might worsen their lung function. So what we use this article for is to explore the evidence behind uh, whether, actually, whether there is any evidence to support this this concern. Look at the safety of of uh, beta blockers in patients who've got COPD. Look at the evidence for beta blockers in some of the common cardiovascular conditions, and try and relate that to patients who have actually got COPD to see if there's a message there about whether these drugs are actually safe for this for this group of patients. Um, so we try and work our way through all the evidence to come up with some sort of conclusion about the the usefulness of, of beta blockers and their safety in COPD. The second article here is titled Over-the-Counter Trinexamic Acid for Heavy Menstrual Bleeding. Ike, could you tell us about this one? Yes. Um, heavy menstrual bleeding is obviously a, a, a quite a common problem, but not necessarily one that women regard as a medical problem. Quite often they would like to be able to manage it themselves without necessarily consulting a a healthcare professional uh, or or certainly their GP. This article reviews the potential 
for them doing that in, in the sense that it, it concentrates on a, a drug which is commonly used for hemi, heavy menstrual bleeding, that's trianexamic acid, which has a long uh, history of, of use for that condition, um, but uh, explores what is, what is likely to happen in the next few months, which is that that drug is going to be available over the counter. Mm-hmm. So the article focuses on trianexamic acid. It looks at how effective it is in, in dealing with heavy menstrual bleeding um, and considers some of the consequences of it being available over the counter and, and really tries to assess whether that's a, a worthwhile development as far as w- women are concerned. Will it, will it actually be useful from their point of view? Hmm. Do you think it's going to be worthwhile? You'll have to read the article to find out. Okay. All right. All right. The last article in this issue is which oral aminosalicylate for ulcerative colitis? David, over to you. 5-aminosalicylic acid is a um, common ingredient of a variety of preparations used to manage ulcerative colitis. Um, There are lots of preparations now on the market. Uh, to treat ulcerative colitis containing 5-aminosalicylic acid. Some are prodrugs, some are cleverly coated products that, that release the drug in, in the right part of the, of the bowel. And there's quite a lot of evidence around uh, using these for the management of ulcerative colitis. And I think what we've tried to do in this article is, is look at the uh, different formulations, look at the evidence that supports the use of 5 uh, aminosalicylic acid in the management of ulcerative colitis, how effective it is, and then try and draw some conclusions as to whether you know, are there some preferred formulations, does price make a difference, does the coating actually make a difference, you know, what actually does the evidence tell us that would guide us which way we should go with, with choosing a particular formulation. Thank you, David. To read any more about our issue, please refer to our website at dtb.bmj.com. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.